This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to my audio imaginarium. For those of you new to the program, this is a, a radio show dedicated to examining conspiracies, paranormal phenomena, alternative energy, alternative archaeology, alternative health, alternative, alternative, alternative. I, I like to think it's done in a, a sensible, non-sensational and respectful way. I don't shout. I don't preach. I let the guest talk. And at the end of each hour, I'll leave it up to you to decide whether what you've just heard is believable or not. That's how we operate here on the Conspiracy Program. And every once in a while, I like to offer up a quote that I think speaks to what this program is about or, or uh, reflects upon what we discuss on the show. Here's one I found recently from Caleb Nation, who is a, a writer, producer, writes science fiction, children's novels, and his adherents, Caleb Nation's adherents, are called Nationeers. Caleb wrote that coincidence is merely the puppeteer's curtain hiding the hands that pull the world's strings. Yeah, that works for me. We talk a lot about the puppeteers on this program. And I'm not talking about Sherry Lewis. <laughs> Remember Lamb Chop? Although it's interesting when you think about it. Lamb Chop was a sheep, right? Puppeteers. Puppets on a string, sheep. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll let you chew on that uh, for a bit and figure out what it all means, if anything. Uh, before the show, I was reading an interesting story uh, out, of, out of the University of Malta. And scientists there are working on a rather interesting device. Uh, anyway, it, the, the story goes, scientists at the University of Malta think touch screens are for suckers. Mind control devices. Now that's where it's at. Outfitted in an electrode-studded cap, users of the group's specially designed music software are able to play a song, fast-forward tracks, and adjust the volume by merely looking at the screen. While we don't yet understand our brains in great detail, we do get the broad strokes. The brain uses a combination of electrical and chemical signals to compute 
and repetitive thoughts equate to repeating electrical brain patterns. By feeding test subjects controlled stimuli and recording the subsequent patterns, we can reverse the process in the future. Even if we don't know what the subject is doing, when we see a familiar pattern, we can infer their look, what they're looking at, hearing, seeing, or even thinking the same thing they were in the original experiment. Do you see where this is going? The University of Malta researchers, for example, observed the electrical patterns made by subjects' brains when they looked at flickering boxes on a screen. As the flickering frequency varied, so too did each brain's electrical patterns. The group recorded the various brain patterns, assigned each frequency and action, play, pause, fast-forward, volume, and coded the software to take certain actions when particular patterns were detected. And voila, mind-controlled Spotify. So here's the thing. When one of these stories about some technological advancement comes out, I'm always thinking to myself, if they're publicly acknowledging what they can do now, they've probably been working on this for several decades. And this release of information is what they figure we can handle, what we useless eaters, what we sheeple can handle. Kind of a slow, controlled release. But meanwhile... What they've really got in their hands is something far more advanced. Fifty years beyond our wildest imagination, as Ben Rich of Skunk Works used to say. So another example. Recently, some researchers at MIT announced they are now able, get this, they are now able to basically implant false memories in mice. Right, mice. So I'm guessing they had that down in about 1975. So what are they capable of now? What are the folks at DARPA capable of doing now? Scientists at the University of California at Berkeley are working on brain decoding, reading minds, scanning blobs of brain activity. So scientists may be able to decode people's thoughts, their dreams, even their intentions. Again, if they're going public with it now, ask yourself how much further advanced is this technology? Groups around the world are using techniques like this to try to decode brain scans, decipher what people are seeing, hearing, feeling, as well as what they remember or even dream about. Neuroscientists can predict what a person is seeing or dreaming by looking at their brain activity. You heard me correctly. Media reports have suggested such techniques bring mind reading from the realms of fantasy to fact and could influence the way we do just about everything. The Economist in London even cautioned its readers to be afraid and speculated on how long it will be until scientists promise telepathy through brain scans. Not fantasy, folks. Ask the nearly 300,000 Americans who believe their brains, their minds, have already been hacked. Many of these victims of electronic harassment and mind control genuinely believe their intentions are known, their minds are being read. They have false memories being implanted. Their dreams are being invaded. They're being targeted by some direct energy weapon that causes incredibly painful biological effects, including burning, heart palpitations, tinnitus, severe headaches, near total sleep deprivation. Well, we're going to talk about electronic harassment and mind control tonight. And you're about to meet a man who was minding his own business, practicing medicine, in fact, when his life was turned upside down after he discovered electronic harassment is real. The technology is real. And the victims 
are countless. This could be happening to your coworker, your neighbor, maybe. It's happening to you. Dr. John Hall is a medical doctor in San Antonio, Texas, and the author of A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America. He's a board-certified diplomat of the American Board of Anesthesiology and a member of the American Academy of Pain Medicine. He's also an active member of the Mind Science Foundation, dedicated to the study of human consciousness. Great pleasure to meet, or to, uh, to welcome once again to the program, Dr. John Hall. Hey, John, how are you? Good, Richard. How are you? Lamb chop? I think you're dating yourself a little bit there, Richard. <laughs> well, it was either that or Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, but that would Uh-oh, date me, that's too. Even worse. <laughs> well, Dr. Hall, listen, uh, a new breed, satellite terrorism in America. First, let's dial back. Uh, as I said, you're a practicing medicine. You're an anesthesiologist. How did you, how did you uh, fall down the rabbit hole into this, this whole arena of electronic harassment? Take us back. Well, actually, I am still practicing anesthesia and pain management, but um, I guess it was probably around 2002, 2003 when came across a girl who was voicing these complaints. And, of course, you know, as most of these victims, her physicians all immediately wanted to send her to a psychiatrist. Um, Having known a little bit about the technology already, I took her seriously and did some counter surveillance and some counterintelligent work uh, with her, put, you know, voice activated recorders in her place to try to verify the stalking part of it. Uh, and sure enough, uh, her place was getting broken into. Uh, she was being drugged and with rohypnol and sexually assaulted. And the interesting thing was the way she was being drugged. And that's where the mind control part comes in. They were putting rohypnol and bottled water and other food sources or drink sources in her condominium and controlling her to drink where the drugs were. And to a lot of your listeners, that may sound like science fiction, but that's exactly the way this technology works. And in dealing with this woman, would see her drink five bottles of water, just boom, 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 all in a row, and would say, you know what? I mean, are you thirsty? You're drinking a lot of water. That's your fifth bottle of water in less than an hour. And she would turn and go, well, this is my second one, or my first or second one. You know, what do you mean, fifth bottle? You know, go look in the trash. There's five bottles in there. Well, they were making sure to get her dosed up with the drugs that they had placed in the water. And then once she was drugged with rohypnol and amnestic from the rohypnol, rohypnol is a date rape drug, um, blocks your memory pretty much completely for a time period. Um, and then they would break in and for sexual assault, and that's not an uncommon thing among these female victims of this technology. This technology is being used essentially to uh, perpetuate sex slavery uh, in a lot of cases. And such was the case with uh, with this woman. We did identify the perpetrators uh, in her case. It was a former FBI guy running a private investigative agency in which he only hired his close relatives. Um, Unfortunately, the part of the reason for the book was, you know, you're trying to prove intangible technology, um, so in a court of law with this. So the only thing we could go on was the sexual assault and the stalking. At the, that time, Texas laws on stalking were weak. Um, because of this case and one other case similar to it, our stalking laws have been changed. Um, and they had a hard time going after the sexual assault because of lack of memory of it on her part due to the drug. So 
the next best thing was to actually write the the whole twisted story down into a book um, and hope to get some exposure of the problem. And amazingly enough, at that time, there wasn't a whole lot online about this. There were a couple of people talking about it. Uh, after the book published in 2007, 2008, I was inundated with people voicing the exact same complaints. Dr. John Hall, author of A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America, and, and we'll get to the, the satellite component and what that has to do with electronic harassment, mind control, because, uh, you know, the Rohypnol, and, and when I hear Rohypnol, I think of a conversation I had um, with Sirhan Sirhan's attorney, uh, and, and uh, this is going back, of course, you know, 1968, and, and, and you know, the lady in the polka dot dress that handed Sirhan a, a pot of coffee uh, just before he went into the, uh, the pantry at the Ambassador Hotel and uh, uh, allegedly... I guess I use the term allegedly shot Senator Kennedy, but uh, the theory is that 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 he was on rohypnol as well. Uh, so I mean, this is a drug that's been around for a long time, uh, but it's it, that's pretty low tech compared to what what is being used now. Correct? Yeah, and like I said, the the electronic component came in the, the way they were drugging her. You know, they that it wasn't they were putting the rohypnol in food sources and hoping she would. You eat those or drink those sources, um, they were actually controlling her to drink or eat those sources. Uh, and of course, the rest of it, I mean, I, you know, she was having complete conversations with uh, people that no one else around her could hear, which is called voice to skull uh, or synthetic telepathy, as you mentioned um, in your prelog. Um, so, I mean, she was getting all the, all the symptoms that typically uh, you see. And, you know, as you mentioned, some of the some of the technology that's actually been admitted to in the private sector, you have to remember if the private sector is admitting that, the private sector oftentimes is at least 10 or 20 years behind the government sector. Exactly. Listen, uh, uh, Doc, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to talk about electronic harassment, mind control, electronic torture. It's not a conspiracy theory, folks. It's a crime, and it's happening. And Dr. Hall will tell you all the sordid horrible details when the conspiracy show continues right after this and we are here with dr john hall who has treated numerous patients who've complained about voices in their heads uh, we're not talking about uh, schizophrenia folks uh, we're talking about a whole other kettle of fish uh, in any event these individuals that have this voice to skull or being targeted with voice to skull technology they're eventually driven to some form of well, a serious psychosis, and in his new uh, his book, A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America, he describes his relationship with his significant other, Mallory, a young woman with a bright fu- future, and upon beginning a new profession, Mallory was suddenly struck down by unexplainable happenings, mind control surveillance, stalking, rape. And uh, so Dr. Hall and others sacrificed themselves and their careers to bring her nightmare to an end. And what happened to Mallory and what is happening to countless others is really the subject of a new breed, satellite terrorism in America. So this, uh, uh, we're calling her Mallory, Uh, she was your fiancé, correct? Yeah, uh, yes, she was. And um, part of the reason we kind of pulled out the stops and did a a lot of counter-surveillance and called in a lot of favors from friends in high places to find out the facts about the technology, mostly whether or not it had been commercialized. 
um, like I said, I already had a, a pretty good feeling uh, about what was going on and what was being used just from prior knowledge of it. Um, but what I was most concerned about at, at that time was had it been commercialized. I mean, the technology's been around for a while. It was actually, you know, initially um, invented as a, a communication system. So war fighters or intelligence people in the field could actually communicate or be communicated to at that time uh, without use of a radio. As a matter of fact, they're working on it now. I believe at the University of California at Berkeley uh, in a three-way system where war fighters in the field will be able to communicate thought to thought uh, through a link um, to each other. Uh, it, and for some time, it's been perfected to where it could be done, you know, bidirectionally um, between a transmitter, you know, and a, a human skull or a warfighter in the field back and forth, you know, to give orders to. But now it's actually came full circle to where, I mean, you'll have two warfighters or two intelligence guys in the field being able to communicate thought to thought. It's telepathy. So, We're talking about telepathy here. Yeah, essentially, that's one way to do this, synthetic telepathy, and I believe they actually, at the University in California, they are calling it the synthetic telepathy lab. Um, and, you know, one of the other um, um, things that's been released that you actually mentioned was being able to decode the brain signals, you know, to determine what someone's thinking or what someone's hearing or what, you know, and that has actually came full circle in the private sector already, too. There's a researcher named Jack Gowland out at the University of California. Yes, Irvine. yes. And, uh, and he actually uh, can have um, people watch a video or watch a movie and then have them rethink about the video that they saw. And as they think about the video they saw, their brain waves are decoded back into video so uh, an observer can actually see what they're remembering. Uh, and, of course, it also can be done while they're actively watching to decode what they're actively watching. So um, as far as some people thinking the technology is far-fetched, uh, it's really not. Because if it's if we're getting that close to it in the private sector, then it's like you said, it's already been done in the government sector. And, and I mean, I know for a fact that it has been. So. And if they can, if they could read uh, our, our our minds, uh, read our intentions. I mean, how could how would that be used? For example, in 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 Mallory's case, how would that technology have been used against her? Well, that was strictly used as a tracking uh, thing and a control issue because basically, the synthetic telepathy, the way it works, if I put a voice in your head that sounds like me or sounds like someone unknown to you, then that becomes harassment, and you will perceive it as harassment. But if I put a voice in your head that sounds like your thoughts, uh, and everybody has a voice in their head, you, when you read a book or you read something, you're actually hearing it in your head in your own voice. If you can mimic that same pattern and that same um, voice tone, then in a lot of people that becomes a thought and they act on those thoughts, and that's precisely um, how Manchurian candidates work, or you know what we suspect some of these shooters how that is working. That you know they're they think they're acting on their own thoughts when indeed they're acting on thoughts that are that are exogenously placed there. Um, and you kind of touched on that the creating false memories uh, in mice. You know that's fairly old technology as well. As a matter of fact. For some a number of years now, we've actually had a false memory foundation, and one of the big wigs in the false memory foundation has actually uh, been Michael Persinger, 
you know, who's done a lot of his research at Laurentian, um, you know, there in your neck of the woods, and some time ago had said that he controlled every brain on the planet using ELF or microwave energy. So my word. And and so how many uh, how many people now do you have coming to you as a result of the publication of a new breed coming to you? Uh, people who believe that they are being surveilled, targeted, tortured. Uh, quite quite a few actually. I, I mean I. I try actually not to, to see those people as patients, but usually just communicate through them either on the phone or through my website. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing after that book published and some of my existing patients had actually read it, you would be surprised at how many people that I had already been seeing for other, you know, just truly medical ailments that said, you know what, I read your book or I heard a radio interview with you. Know, I've had that going on for a couple of years and just didn't know what it was, or have people come in and say, we, we thought we were having a haunting. Um, because oftentimes, the person themselves aren't victimized, but, you know, they'll they'll mess with electronics in the house, you know, which is kind of leads me to believe that a lot of the times you, you see people complaining of a house that's haunted or a hotel that's haunted. Um, one of the things that's common among most of these victims, you know, they will say they have you know, electronic, they have wiring problems, you know, they have lights that come off and on on their own, garage doors that open and close on their own, uh, computer that will watch somebody move the mouse, you know, not the mouse, but the, the cursor around on their computer. Um, and indeed, in San Antonio, we have a, a little neighborhood in the northwest side of San Antonio that for several years, people were complaining that their wiring was going bad, their cell phones weren't working, their garage doors were opening and closing on their own. Um, and they had complained about this for a long time, and it just so happens that this neighborhood happens to be in very close proximity to one of our now three NSA bases in San Antonio. Mm. Uh, and finally, the NSA came out after a, a news investigative story and said that they were experimenting with a new ground wave communication system that just happened to be passing through this neighborhood, uh, causing all these problems. So. Uh, is it truly experimenting with a communication system or is it experimenting on the neighborhood with a communication system? We'll never know. But um, they did come out and admit to it and recommended that people put on some special FCC um, filter in their home wiring uh, to help stop their, their wiring from burning out. And um, I know the news did a follow-up story on that, and uh, that actually can be probably Googled from our local San Antonio news. But... And, you know, those are the complaints that a lot of these victims are complaining about, too, not just the personal attack, but the attacks on their appliances and their electronics and, you know, their garage doors and it, basically anything that works through electricity. Now, in Mallory's case, the subject of, of uh, your book, A New Breed, uh, the the these were lower level perps. I'm guessing we're talking about a former FBI agent and, and, uh, and private investigators gone bad. Uh, but. Then you, you're, you're also talking about, you know, the National Security Agency, and there's, this, there's that specter again. <laughs> I mean, as, as, as if anyone at this point, after Edward Snowden's revelations, would doubt any of this stuff that's coming out in, in regards to, you know, how low the NSA will stoop. But I'm a little confused as to, you know, who is, being, who is responsible for the, for the bulk of this? Is it the low-level perps, people who have some sort of vendetta or, uh, in, in the case of Mallory, wanted to turn someone into their personal sex slave? Or are we talking about some 
high-level, shadowy, rogue government agency. Well, the, and the way you look at that, and this is the, the part that's been difficult to explain and, and make people understand, is if you look back to MK Ultra and MK Search and Bluebird and Artichoke and you know all the cutesy names that that you know our mind control programs were given um, through the CIA in the past, which is not unique to the CIA, the NSA and the DoD all all dabbled in it early on, but. It was never done directly by those agencies. It was always done, you know, guised as legitimate university research, or it was done through front companies. Uh, the Human Ecology Fund you know, was one of them. There were several, uh, and it's still being done that way today. You're, you're right. The boots on the ground in the various communities where these people are complaining of it, I guess you could, you could probably say they're low, low-level perps or, you know, but I think the way it's probably working to give the government plausible deniability is these groups are given access to this technology because this isn't something that you you and I can Google and download onto a computer and use on someone. And it doesn't appear to be handheld weaponry. So if you look in the past at the way this research has been done, it's you give these these groups and each community access to the technology. You allow them to operate carte blanche. You know, they can use it however they want to use it on whomever they want to use it, you know, for whatever reason, as long as the data gets back to the appropriate agencies. And as far as that's concerned, the appropriate agencies can actually monitor the the perpetrators themselves to get the data they want back. So one way to look at it would be the victims and the local perpetrators are probably all part of the same experiment. An experiment. That's what we're talking about here. It's an experiment, a grand, large-scale experiment. So uh, what, what, that, appear, that appears to be the case, Richard. Yeah, and and, and it's to see how uh, you know how many buttons they can push, uh, how how far you know they can push someone before they can fracture their their psyche. Uh, what, what's the end game? Do we know? Well, I mean, that, you know, looking at things as a physician medically, you know, most of these victims or that that I've spoken to have been victimized for eight or nine, ten years or more. Um, medically, the only reason to to do that long term of a study would be to see, you know, what type of weird illnesses, weird cancers, you know, blood problems are going to come from being exposed 24/7, you know, to large amounts of non-ionizing radiation or electromagnetic radiation. You know, that would be one reason to do it. And you know, the other reason is, you know, we I think we all agree now that we have a government that's too big. We have a government that no longer fears the people and a government that wants control. And it's certainly a lot easier to control people electromagnetically than it is with, you know, guns, bullets, or taxes. So, uh, and even Vladimir Putin uh, in Russia at least came out and admitted that they have psychotronic weaponry and that they're actively working on psychotronic weaponry. And he himself said that whichever country controlled the best psychotronics would control the globe without missiles or bullets. So... None of our media picked up on that lecture that he gave. I had one call, one news agency called me for comment on it, and that was El Spectador uh, out of Colombia in South America. So, um, you know, it, at least one country's admitted to having it. Um, as far back as the Branch Davidian crisis in Waco, uh, our own FBI did meet with um, Igor Shmirnov from Russia, who was one of the developers of voice-to-skull technology. Uh, and wanted to use it on David Koresh at that time. 
but the Russian software wouldn't work with American FBI computers, so the idea was scrapped. But they did meet with uh, Smirnov's people to try and use it. So, uh, and I think that was in Newsweek at the time. So, you know, the technology's actually been around for a while. It's just been kept pretty close to the vest. Dr. John Hall, author of A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America, and uh, the website, uh, doctor, is sat, uh, satweapons.com? That's it. Satweapons.com. Uh, you, you mentioned the uh, extremely low frequency, the ELF, uh, and we will all remember, of course, the, the horrible uh, shooting at the Washington Naval Yard where the, um, the, uh, the shooter... Uh, Alexis Aaron, or Aaron Alexis, uh, carved into the the butt of his rifle, my ELF weapon. What do you think he was intending? What message was he intending to impart there, my ELF weapon? Well, based on some of his emails, um, you know, he had emailed um, Freedom from Covert Surveillance and Harassment, a um, humanitarian group that deals with, you know, a lot of the victims of this, and several times and had very same sounding emails i mean he uh, you know did make the comment that you know he had a clearance and uh, that he had worked for the dod and worked for the navy and, and he knew what this technology was uh, had was questioning on how to defeat the sleep deprivation he was going through um the inscription he put on the shotgun i think was meant more in a vengeful way you know that uh he had done some research and found out that a lot of this technology was being researched at the Navy Yard uh, and a, another building close to the Navy Yard. Uh, I, I think that was strictly uh, a vengeful inscription that um, that he was going there to attack, at least where he perceived his attacks from coming from. All right, Dr. Halt, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to delve into electronic harassment, torture, mind control. And uh, we will find out the, uh, the connection between satellites and this horrible, heinous crime. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. He speaks the truth, Dr. Hall. Uh, here's the story right here. Using functional magnetic resonance imaging and computational models, UC Berkeley researchers have succeeded in decoding and reconstructing people's dynamic visual experiences, in this case, watching Hollywood movie trailers. As yet, the technology can only reconstruct movie clips people have already viewed. However, the breakthrough paves the way for reproducing the movie inside our heads that no one else sees, such as dreams and memories, according to researchers. This is a major leap forward, reconstructing internal imagery, said Professor Jack Gallant, a UC Berkeley neuroscientist and co-author of the study published online today, that was uh, last year, in the journal Current Biology. We're opening a window into the movies in our minds. So again, I say, if they're going public with this, how much further down the road are they? I would suspect decades, perhaps. Uh, Dr. Hall, uh, back to the the extremely low frequency, non-ionizing radiation. And of course, uh, you know, we are swimming in a virtual electronic smog. Uh, we're surrounded by cell towers and smart meters and baby monitors and we're attached at the hip, literally, with our smartphones. Uh, you know, microwaves uh, everywhere. So, how do we, or how do you, uh, let's say, as a physician, separate someone who is simply uh, a, 
an electronic sensitive uh, who has an adverse reaction to this non-ionizing radiation and someone who is actually being targeted? You know, Richard, sometimes that's hard to do. And as a physician, certainly, um, you know, I'm not going to deny that mental illness doesn't exist, that, you know, there are people that are schizophrenic or or have delusional disorder. Uh, And sometimes it's difficult to tell where they, you know, having mental problems, you know, prior to being victimized, are they having mental problems due to victimization, or are they just having mental problems? And that that is a a real difficult challenge uh, in a lot of these cases. Um, now, in most of the legitimate cases that I've seen, uh, most of these people are very, very well educated, were highly functioning. Uh, most of the people I've dealt with have been professionals, doctors, lawyers, you know, people like that, that can pinpoint the day that most of this started. And usually it was in later in life, in the late 30s, early 40s, um, which is kind of beyond the diagnostic um, point where really you would call someone schizophrenic. Schizophrenics, you know, typically are not right from an early age. I mean, that's identified in, in males, usually at 16 to 18, and females, you know, from 16 to 21. So, you know, that kind of is taken off of the board in, in most of these people. And that's why typically if they do get parked in front of a psychiatrist, they usually end up getting a delusional um, disorder type diagnosis that means that uh, they're having delusions of persecution that are unrealistic for their position in life. You know, if, if you know if you came in saying that everybody's following me and I'm being spied on, well, that's delusional. Now, if you were a spy, you know, working for the government and came in and said that, then that would be perfectly fine and and within the norm for your possible lifestyle. So, um, and it's no mistake that. It is looked at that way by psychiatrists because from the beginning, most of these projects were headed up by psychiatrists. So um, there, it's it's not coincidental that this technology mimics mental illness. It's meant to do that. So and it's meant to make it hard to tell whether somebody's being victimized, experimented on, or if they're mentally ill. I, I, but, I would I would I would uh, I would imagine that also it would be. Um, someone with mental illness, an underlying mental uh, health issue, or someone with an addiction, that would provide great cover for uh, whoever these perps are. If they wanted to target somebody, why wouldn't they pick on someone that already has a mental health issue? Well, they they do, and and, and historically they always have. Uh, if you go, like I said, a lot of this we have to base on information from Freedom of Information based on MK Ultra. And if you look at a lot of those um, projects, they were done on, you know, you know, foster children in foster, you know, homes. Willowbrook School was one of them. Um, they were done on prisoners that are incarcerated in our prisons, um, military guys, um, and, you know, people with addiction or drug problems that already were known, people that are already self-discredited. Um, now, that was historically, and it's still some of that's being done today. But because it can be done remotely now and you don't have to be lured into a lab or, or in, you know, put into a mental hospital under a false diagnosis anymore, which is typically what was, you know, done by you and Cameron and at McGill University, you know, again, up in your neck of the woods, um, they took women and told them that, you know, instead of postpartum depression, they said you have overt psychiatric disease and you need to be kept in house. And then they experimented on them. With vast well, now, dosages of LSD. <laughs> 
and 900 times normal electroconvulsive therapy and, you know, playing tapes of a new personality under them. I mean, you know, those are verified facts. You know, we've had to work with some of those people to get them as at least as close to normal as we can get them after the fact. But um, now that it can be done remotely through energy, and, you know, even Jose Delgado, who worked extensively for the CIA uh, on human brain chipping and human chipping, before his death, uh, even said that you know that his work was was obsolete, that none of this you know none of this could had to be done with chipping anymore, that it could all be done with broadcast, that it was all being done electromagnetically now, and that was you know several months before his death in California after he came back from his continued research in Spain. Well, listen, so, we'll, uh, we're going to take a time out here. When we come back, let's talk about how this is now being achieved, not through uh, some implant or through, uh, uh, you know, uh, ritualistic abuse and trauma like the Nazis uh, perfected back in the f- 40s, uh, but it's being done remotely by satellite. Dr. John Hall, author of A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America. Back with more. Don't go away. Dr. John Hall stays with us for a few moments uh, yet, talking about electronic harassment. It's all uh, outlined in his uh, book, A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America. You can learn more at his website, www.satweapons.com. So how is this uh, torture being delivered via satellite, Dr. Hall? Well, you know, that's been a, a a big question in this topic among a lot of the people you see blogging about it is the delivery system. Um, now, I'll, I'll tell you why I titled the book I did and was based on a little bit of knowledge of the of the technology. And like I said, I called in some favors some, from people that are still currently in the CIA. And believe it or not, there are a lot of people within government who are against this. Uh, they unfortunately can't come out publicly. Uh, at risk of being, you know, labeled like Edward Snowden and having to move themselves and their families to another country. So, but there are people willing to give up a little bit of information. And and I talked to one of my contacts and to, to ask if this had been commercialized and and kind of already knew most of it was being done via satellite. Um, and they verified that you know, yes, they they did have now weapon systems platforms on satellite. Um, so at least that's one delivery system we're sure about. Now, I know there's a lot of blogs I've seen um, where they're saying it's being done with, um, you know, radar guns or handheld weapons or miniaturized directed energy weapons that can be buried in the home. But I know of, uh, from my research and from my knowledge, there's really nothing much that's been miniaturized just yet uh, as far as directed energy. And in talking to many of the victims, when you live in an apartment complex, you always suspect that it's somebody around you, not somebody remote. But when you actually look at the the true research on it, you can take these people into an area where there's no cell phone towers, no electrical grid, uh, and they still get attacked. You can take them onto a boat in the ocean, they still get attacked. And when they travel across country, even in a plane, they're still victimized. Um, and there's only, you know, one or two technologies that can follow you everywhere, and one of them is satellite. So, you know, the title of the book was based on just what I could verify factually actually exist. And how would an individual be targeted, uh, let's say, from a, a satellite that's anywhere from, I'm, I'm not sure at what level in the atmosphere, anywhere from 20, I suppose, to 2,000 miles up there? Uh, do we Do we... 
are they are they honing in on some sort of a brain signature that we emit? Well, that's one of the theories, and one of the things that I actually was confided in was that that is one way it's being done is through brain fingerprinting. That you know your EEG actually gives off you know a particular you know, a very low L wave signal that believe it or not can actually be processed remotely. Um, you know another revelation that's come here out recently. Um, which may apply to tracking of a human body too is the NSA has actually came out or, you know, I don't think they came out with it, but it was exposed through some other foreign intelligence agencies, the way they monitor computers. And the way they do that is with a small chip in the cord between the computer and the monitor. It's actually in the monitor cord. And that is bombarded with continuous wave radar, CWR. And when the chip is bombarded in the cord, it transmits up to eight miles away everything that's going from your computer through the cord to the monitor. So essentially, they're getting real-time data that can be stored of everything that comes across your monitor uh, with almost a, a gigawatt of energy being placed around you and your computer when they do it, uh, which would explain why you're seeing a lot of these little you know, antennas popping up around the countryside with chain-link fence around them. They're receiving stations. Um, one of the other theories is that when the human body is uh, bombarded with continuous wave radar, that your DNA itself resonates uh, and can be picked up, which would be individual, you know, would be an identifier for each individual. So there's a lot of theories on it. Of course, the only people who know the facts are the people that are working with it. But um, as you know, if you look at low tech, we have, you know, body image technology, facial image technology and recognition um, that works fairly well, you know, not indoors, but when somebody's outdoors. And we have FLIR imaging now, which can actually look indoors as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of technologies out there that can accomplish this. Um, you know, some of the ones that, you know, that are being used specifically in electromagnetic targeting are yet to be classified, but I imagine it's going to come back um, similar to the way they're monitoring computers and cell phones. Cell phones monitored with CWR, um, your battery can be out and your SIM card can be out and they can still power up the phone enough to make it transmit. Uh, in fact, I believe uh, several years ago, the, it was the FBI or the CIA were bragging that that's how they nailed some, some drug pin, uh, kingpins in the United States. They were monitoring their cell phone conversations even though the cell phones were ostensibly turned off. Not only that, and they can monitor the money itself. You know, the American dollar bills um, have an RFID in them. And you can actually drive down the street using FLIR imaging and see where the stacks of money are in the house. And especially in the drug trade, you know, that's all done with copious amounts of cash. So, you know, when they are monitoring a home that they suspect and they see a closet full of cash, that's then all you have to do is, is make up a reason, you know, to come to the door with a a warrant. Uh, and then, oh my gosh, look, we discovered a closet full of cash. So, um, you know, that that's another way they're actually dealing with the drug trade. Uh, uh, what about some of the biological effects that, that people complain about? Uh, heart palpitations, the ability to slow someone's heart rate down, speed it up, maybe even stop their heart. Well, in the, the what appears to be doing that mostly is you can target individual organs, of course, with directed energy. But, you know, when you're targeting the brain, the brain controls everything. So uh, you can target the centers that actually you know, raise or lower the heart rate. 
a lot of these victims complain of uh, severe heartburn that comes on quickly and goes away quickly despite treatment. Uh, that's probably microwave heating of the mucosa, the stomach, uh, causing acute um, gastric acid release. Um, one of the, some of the other complaints are numbness in the fingers or the thumb while they're trying to use the computer uh, to discourage computer use, body twitching, seizures. You know, now, what we do know of electromagnetic energy exposure that um, from some of the studies, because you got to remember a lot of the electromagnetic energy studies are actually done by cell phone you know, companies or they're done by people looking to see what the long-term effects of cell phone use are going to be. Some of those studies are actually covered by the cell phone companies themselves. So, of course, those studies say, no, there's nothing wrong with having a cell phone on 24-7 next to your head. You know, those coming out of Europe that are done independently are saying, oh, yeah, there's a lot wrong with having a cell phone next to your head. But some of the things that we have seen are premature aging, premature cataract development, um, men, um, lower levels, um, uh, fertility, um, um, you know, of course, the heart problems, uh, brain cancers, um, various things that this can cause. So, I mean, we know for a fact that there are some medical issues that can be caused by even small amounts of electromagnetic energy being around you all the time. Now, what we're talking about with continuous wave radar are very large amounts of electromagnetic energy, and that hasn't been studied at all um, because it would mostly be unethical to study it, at least on humans. You were talking about uh, psychotronic weapons, and, and you know, there's that old saying, uh, if where there's a law, there must be a problem. And about a dozen years ago or more, um, uh, a couple of congressmen, uh, Dennis Kucinich, and, and I believe uh, former astronaut John Glenn was involved in this bill as well. It was um, it was the uh, the preservation of space bill, and it, it wasn't passed. Uh, but it was interesting what got mentioned and included in that spe- preservation space bill, and it wa- one of the things mentioned was psychotronic weaponry. Do you remember yeah, that bill? That, 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 yes, that was that was yeah that was Dennis Kucinich that wrote that bill. Uh, John Glenn was involved in another bill that I'll mention, but uh, Dennis Kucinich wrote that, and in its original wording, it specifically mentioned weapons used to alter sensorium or alter mental status. Um, by time it made it to Congress, most of that had been watered down and taken out of it, and it didn't pass anyway. And uh, but that was an attempt to try to not weaponize space. Well, the European Union and Russia both also had um, you know, legislation that they tried to pass through the UN, a treaty to not weaponize space, and one of the countries that refused to sign was ours, was the U.S. Uh, John Glenn actually tried to pass legislation making experimenting on the public without consent illegal. Uh, he wrote a bill uh, requiring informed consent for any type of experimentation done on the public, including intelligence agency experimentation, and that was also shot down in Congress. So I, I think people would be shocked to 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 to, uh, to know that that we can be experimented on without our knowledge or permission. Yeah, I mean, in, in, now I don't know about Canadian laws where you're at. I know in the U.S. Uh, experimentation is governed by a, a, legis- a bill of legislation called the Common Rule, and and it's a pretty hefty uh, piece of work. Um, there's a lot of legalese and a lot of writing that essentially amounts to meaning nothing in it because there's so many distractors 
within the common rule that allow intelligence agencies to experiment on the public, one of which even says if it's in the best interest of the experimentation to notify the experimentees after the fact, which is typically what our government's done. You know, we had MKUltra, then we had 20, 30 years later, we had the Rockefeller Committee and the Church Commission, and, you know, they had an apology. We had Tuskegee syphilis studies. Forty years later, you know, their survivors got an apology. We experimented on people in Guatemala. Twenty years later, you know, Hillary Clinton, you know, gave an apology. And then Obama called for the Bioethics Commission, which I spoke at the Bioethics Commission, at least on one of the meetings. And they had a whole board of apologists, ethicists from Harvard and Yale, who all claimed that that the atrocities that we saw with experimentation were post-World War II, that our current legislation protects the public. I was the only medical person there who pointed out the flaws in the common rule that it doesn't protect the public adequately, that we did need the bill that Senator John Glenn had written. Four meetings, over a thousand people complaining of directed energy experimentation at each one, and in the end of the day, they still published a report saying that there didn't appear to be any non-consensual experimentation ongoing. So, mm. what would you say? I mean, here you are, a medical doctor. What would you say to people out there listening tonight who would say this can't be happening? This isn't. This is just beyond the pale. It's science fiction. Well, for one, I would say, you know, I've got a new book coming out that goes point by point over all the experimentation and all the technology called Guinea Pigs, Technologies of Control. That'll be out hopefully here in the next few months. Uh, all you have to do is look back historically. If, if you don't believe what you're reading on the blogs, which I don't blame most people, look at freedom of information. That's coming straight from the government. You can see the direction that this technology was headed from the start. Um, and you can see that, read the common rule for yourself, get the legislation on human experimentation. There is nothing really protecting us from experimentation, especially within intelligence agencies. Experimentation is supposed to be done with a, um, a review board. Um, if it's black budgeted, not only are you not going to even know if there is a, a review board, um, but you're not going to even know what the experimentation is to to try to police it. So one of the things that, you know, in my next book coming out is some of the things we need to correct is the government itself and society itself. Is it too late? I mean, is it too late to stop this? Are we we just, you know, how many minutes to midnight before we're all being targeted, tortured, harassed? Well, you know, according to, you know, one of my good friends, Dr. Robert Duncan, I don't know if you've ever had him on your show. I have indeed, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, he helped develop or worked on some of the projects that led up to this technology. I know he thinks it's a little too late uh, to stop it. And, and as I've said before, there are good uses for this technology. They're just not being used. And I think most of us probably would say in a field of war, don't mind it being used as a wartime weapon, just not on innocent people. So I think we're going to need societal change and we're going to need government change. We're going to need to hold our government accountable to a standard of ethics and morality. Dr. Hall, thank you so much for your time. And uh, the book, again, A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America. And we'll look forward to the next one on guinea pigs shortly. Thanks. Thanks, Richard. My website, richardserrett.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. And as always, follow the truth. While you hear, do snoring lie. Open-eyed conspiracy, his time doth take. 
Welcome, friends. Wherever you are, I pray you are safe and warm and well-fed. And thanks once again for inviting me into your home. Uh, the other night on uh, one of the movie channels, I happened to catch a movie that came out about, oh, maybe 35 years ago. It was directed by a Canadian filmmaker, director Ted Kotcheff. It was called Who is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe? Do you remember that? It was kind of a comedy a mystery film, and um, I'm trying to remember who it was in it. George Siegel and uh, the lovely Jacqueline Bisset, and an old British uh, actor that I remember, uh, Robert Morley. And uh, the idea is these uh, sh- the great chefs of Europe are being killed, but in a manner sort of reflecting their most famous, uh, famous dishes. So, for example, the lobster chef is drowned, uh, and, uh, you know, in the book, the recipe for each dish is given and so forth. And... Um, it was kind of apropos that that movie would be playing because I don't know if you've been following the trail of all these dead bankers. Who is killing the great banks of Europe and elsewhere? Some in in, um, in Hong Kong and even one in Colorado. Uh, there was uh, earlier this month an investment uh, banker at J.P. Morgan who jumped to his death from the roof of the bank's headquarters. Uh, and uh, witnesses say the man went to the roof of the uh, building in the heart of Hong Kong's central district. And uh, despite attempts to talk him down, he jumped to his death. Uh, And this was not just an isolated incident. There are, by some count, now 20 bankers, many of them foreign exchange traders, who have died under suspicious circumstances in the last couple of months. January 26th, former Deutsche Bank executive found dead in his South Kensington home after police responded to reports of a man found hanging at a house. And he had close uh, ties to... Uh, the uh, the Deutsche Bank uh, chief executive, Gabriel McGee, a 39-year-old senior manager at J.P. Morgan, European headquarters, jumped 500 feet from the top of the bank's headquarters in central London. Uh, Mike Duker, the former economist at Russell Investments, fell down a 50-foot embankment in what police are describing as a suicide. Richard Talley, 57, founder of American Title Services in Centennial, Colorado, was found dead earlier this month after apparently shooting himself with a nail gun. 37-year-old J.P. Morgan Executive Director Ryan Henry Crane died last week. Tim Dickinson, a U.K.-based communication director at Swiss REAG, also died last month. So did all these men actually kill themselves? There's reason to believe that at least some of those deaths may not have been suicides at all. What is going on here? How in the world would uh, someone be able to shoot themselves with a nail gun, eight nail gun wounds to his torso and his head in the case of uh, Richard Talley. We're going to get into that right now with the, uh, the founder of the Trends Research Institute, Gerald Salente, is a well-respected uh, gentleman for his track record on, uh, of picking businesses, consumer, political, and economic trends before they come to pass. And it's his job to see the future and understand how the issues and events of today will determine the trends of tomorrow. Gerald Salente, how are you? I'm fine, Richard. Well, we can't say the same for a lot of these uh, bankers. We're hearing uh, that you know a number of them have been uh, jumping off of uh, buildings and have been found in, in stairwells and found dead under suspicious uh, circumstances. Now, I've read recently where you said the number may be as high as 20 mysterious deaths. What, what's going on here with these bankers? Well, you know, it's, it's really hard to say. And, and you know, the, I mean, you look back in, in January, three, 
three trillion dollars was wiped out of the equity markets. So if you're involved in that, you know, and you're losing everything, you know, and people lose everything and they have nothing left to lose, they lose it. So you don't you don't really know what's going on, you know, and you can't look into people's lives. And then you're looking at all the scandals going on. It's every day. Uh, it's virtually every day. The latest, my, the, the saddest, funniest one that just came out is USB is a uh, UBS rather is looking uh, to make a deal, you know, and and uh, so they don't have to be brought up on charges with uh, rigging the rates. And it's one after another. There's rigging going on everywhere. So who knows what when? But here's the way I look at it, Richard. Whether or not these guys are killing themselves because they know too much, or or, or being or being uh, <laughs> you know pushed off the cliff by somebody else, suicided as they say. Yes, yeah, suicided. Uh, to me, that's not the issue. How much more proof do people need that the game is rigged? This isn't a conspiracy. It's a fact. They rigged the LIBOR rates. It's a fact. It's in black and white for anybody to read. They rig the Forex markets. That's only $5.3 trillion a day. It's a fact. Hey, check this one out. Jim Cramer, you know that guy on CNBC? Sure, never met a stock he didn't like. That's right. He's on Yahoo tape ticker, and he says, quote, the market is rigged, end quote. How much more proof do people need? How many bankers have to fall off buildings? So to me, it's not that. It's that everybody knows how much more proof do they need. And, and so to me, it's, eh, you know, well, you, you, I, I, everybody knows that none of the white shoe boys ever do jail time. It's only the lower, the, the lower people on the pecking order. Yeah, they pick someone like a Bernie Madoff to take the fall. Uh, yet re recently, was it Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan that was uh, found guilty of es essentially enabling the, the Bernie Madoff scheme? Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, and nobody, nobody got any time for it. And, and, you know, the heads that do roll, these people like with the name, like, you know, Gupta Sanjay or something, you know, to get an Indian guy, you know, that looks dark and nobody likes him. You know, that's right, they do the purple cat, walk. you know, so they'll get him, you know. And, 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 but it's, it's, I said this when it began in 2008. This is not capitalism when they came out with Too Big to Fail. By definition, it's the merger of state and corporate powers. That's fascism. Exactly. And that's what we have, particularly in the United States. We've lost our constitutional rights, our Bill of Rights. They are raping us in any possible way that they can. And it's a total multinational takeover. The, what's going on in Ukraine, all anyone has to do, if they have the inclination to do so, is to type in Victoria Newland, N-U-L-A-N-D, the Assistant Secretary of State, and the um, National Press Club, Washington. I think it's like December, I think it's 13th, 2013, 14th or 15th, around there, 2013. And here she is, giving a speech 
prepared speech, right next to her, the people that are promoting this event, <laughs> a big Chevron sign that she's standing next to. And she's railing on about how we have to bring democracy to Ukraine. <laughs> and then at the yes. very end, she spills the beans. We, the taxpayer, have pumped in $5 billion into Ukraine through these so-called NGOs. Yeah, NGOs, FUs, you know. <laughs> and that's what they are. And they're fronts. $5 billion. And she goes on to say that the only future for Ukraine is to join the European Union and to follow the path set forth by the IMF. There you go. So it's right there for everyone to hear. So now I say to myself, what is this? Who is she? What was she talking about? United States, and of course I know the deal. I'm just saying this to make it clear. Talking about why Ukraine has to join the EU? She's from the United States. And why they have to follow the path of the IMF? So for anybody that's over six years old, knows how to feed themselves, drive a car, and take a shower or a bath, they should figure it out. It's a takeover by the multinationals and the money changers mafia. And the Ukraine is sitting on an awful lot of natural gas, from what I understand. The pipelines go through natural gas. Again, Chevron, anybody can see the picture. This isn't a conspiracy. It's a fact, Jack. So it's a it's repeat right of there. It's a repeat of what we saw during uh, this phony Arab Spring, when a lot of these NGOs are funding a lot of these so-called spontaneous, you know, freedom movements. But it's about creating client states. Exactly, and what it is about. Matter of fact, I was on Russia today on February twentieth. People could see the interview out of Moscow, not the one out of the United States, talking about this. And I said, what this is, it's the European Union and the United States wanting to take more control of Eastern Europe and weaken Russia. That's all this is about, and, and raping. Now, listen, let, let's figure this out. You don't have to be too smart to even figure this one out. Anybody listening? Who in their right mind would want to join the EU? Hey, they're doing a great job with Greece, huh? <laughs> Whoa, hey, how about Italy? Wonderful time. Yeah, 60% oh, unemployment. Spain. Isn't Spain beautiful? Mm. Yeah, the rain in Spain. How about Ireland? Oh, terrific, having a great time. What about Portugal? Oh, yeah, jobs are plenty. Prosperity is just around the corner. What imbecile would want to join the EU? Yeah, I mean, so this is just a this is just a money mafia deal, right? Uh, uh, Gerald Salente is with us, publisher of Trends Journal and the website trendsjournal.com. Let me just go back to the bankers for a moment, and, and uh, I know that you're saying that this is symptomatic. This is not the story, but it's it is intriguing that and so many of you, because you mentioned J.P. Morgan, and, and so many of these bankers have ties. Uh, to J.P. Morgan. Uh, and again, we have these, you know, uh, these uh, bankers in the prime of their life, uh, otherwise healthy. Their deaths came as a total surprise to their families, you know, not uh, suffering from, you know, mental illness or anything. So it does, it does beg the question, you know, uh, why would they be, why would they be knocked off if in fact they were suicided? Let me, let me leave you with that thought, Gerald. We'll take a time out and come back and talk a little bit about who is killing the bankers. Gerald Salente, publisher of Trends Journal, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. 
We're back with Gerald Salenti, publisher of Trends Journal, and the website is trendsjournal.com. Uh, Gerald, back to uh, these uh, these bankers, and, and uh, I've heard anywhere from three, now 20, that have died under mysterious circumstances. A number of them uh, were foreign exchange traders, and a number of them were tied to J.P. Morgan. So uh, I know we're, we're in the realm of speculation here, but what, what do you think would have cost them their lives? Was it the fact that they're uh, – is it some sort of uh, cover-up? Uh, uh, you mentioned the Forex trading and, and how these markets are being fixed. But, you know, what would cause someone to push them or, or uh, you know, have them thrown off a building? You know, again, you know, I, the reason I don't really like to speculate on this is because you don't know what's going on with somebody's life, you know, in, in their personal lives. You know, it could be marital problems, it could be family problems, it could be a whole health problems, it could be a whole array of problems. But as I see it, one of the big problems, you know, again, only looking at it from the outside, and is that $3 trillion was wiped out in January. And it's only going to get worse. So are they losing their lives because they lost so much? Or, again... Look at the facts with the four. You mentioned the forex. You know these guys are you know doing currency trading, and you look at the LIBOR fixing. You know, and and it's a very fair question to ask: Did they know too much, and were they ready now not to take the rap and spill the beans? That is a very very, you know, uh, it's it's a very rational way of looking at this. It's not you know wild speculation because again it's a fact i'm not no one's making it up we know that these markets are rigged we're talking about the libor 700 trillion dollars worth of worth of uh interest rates being rigged over the years and 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 as i said about 5.3 trillion a day on the forex and we know that they're rigged so these guys may have known too much, and maybe they didn't want to be the fall guy, so they were forced to take the fall. Uh, would any of this have to do with attempts by the central planners or whoever, whatever you want to call them, in maintaining the, the status of the United States as the reserve currency? I don't know, you know, because it, it, I don't think these guys are big enough to influence that even if they know it. If what they knew had to do with dirty deals, that's what I could understand it as. But, you know, keeping the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency is a much, much, much broader issue. That's not going to be, as I see it again, and I could be 100% wrong on this. You uh, we mentioned the manipulation in the Forex and, and uh, other manipulations, and I wanted to get your, your take on the manipulation in the precious metals market. Granted, you know, the gold market, silver market, pretty small compared to some of these others, and, and maybe even that, that lends itself to greater manipulation because it is so such a small, you know, market. But, but to what extent do you, do you imagine that the, the gold and the silver uh, markets are being manipulated? Totally. 100%. 100%. Because you have the two, re- you have the two markets. They're, they're distinct from each other. There's physical gold and of course the paper gold and i say this with somewhat having experience in this i bought my first gold buy 100 ounces of gold in 1978 i was trading and i didn't know what i was doing the whole thing was just opening up back then and i also bought at the highest 
point when it collapsed in January of 1980. There was no physical market. You know, there, there was no. There was, the United States was trading. There was no rush. Everybody behind the Soviet Union, east of Berlin, was locked behind the Iron Curtain. There was no China. You know, Mao Zedong had just died. You know, it was a whole different world. There was no India buying gold like they are now. So now you have strong physical demand. As a matter of fact, now China is the number one purchaser of, uh, of uh, gold. And there's also speculation that China is buying up so much gold so they can use the yuan as their reserve currency and back it by gold. How's that for a quaint thought? So you have a very different market today than it was back then. Back then it was, you know, you talk about thinly traded, it was only the United States and a little bit going on in Europe and Japan. Now it's a global market. So there's a huge disconnect between physical and paper. And physical is the real market. The paper market's being manipulated as Jim Cramer says, quote, the markets are rigged, end quote. In order to, to – uh, what's, the, what's the, the purpose of, of suppressing the price of gold? Again, does it have to do with maintaining the U.S. dollar? Oh, absolutely. And it's not only the U.S. dollar. It's the, it's the, it's the euro. It's the dollar. It's, it's most of the, the fiat currencies. And so people know that – I mean even with this tapering, oh, they're only pumping in $65 billion a month. They cut it back $20 billion. And when they cut it back, the world equity markets go into panic. So the reason why you have such strong demand overseas in Asia, the people have been around a long time. They're hip to the game. They know that these currencies come and go, but gold lasts from the beginning of time to now, and it's not going anywhere. Where is the, the physical gold coming from, though, Gerald? If you look at China importing, and we only know what goes through, I guess, Shanghai, and it's, it's that combined with India, and they're smuggling something like 30 to 50 tons a month, that combined, I mean, is greater than the annual uh, gold production. So where is the gold coming from? Well, again, you know, that's a, that's a very good question because, as many people know, uh, the, <laughs> the Germans, Richard, are having a very difficult time getting their gold back. And they're not going to get it back ostensibly till 2020 because the U.S., France, and the U.K. are holding it. And I guess, you know, that uh, it takes a long time to strap gold onto the legs of carrier pigeons and send them across, <laughs> you know, the channel, you yes. know? So, uh, you know, it's, it's shipping takes a long time. So there is no gold, is what, is what a lot of people speculate, and that there is enough in the system coming out of, you know, between central banks selling it and other ones picking it up to fill the market void. And what you mentioned about India is, is very important, being that they used to be the largest um, uh, buyer of physical gold, but because of so many, and it goes back to why do they want to keep the price of gold down, because with the, the rupee getting bashed because of the tapering and the hot money stopping flowing into these emerging markets where the money was getting greater yields, they've put on restrictions on importing gold and taxing it to make it almost impossible. So there's a virtual shortage of gold now in India. So, you know, and Indians like gold as much as, you know, curry, and they're doing everything they can to stop it. So that's what they're doing. It's the central banks trying to make it appear that their worthless currencies are worth something. 
is it possible that the the U.S. is uh, willingly, and these bullion banks are willingly emptying their vaults and 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 shipping it to China uh, in exchange for some sort of an agreement that the that that China will not you know dump all their U.S. treasuries? I would doubt it. I would doubt. It. I don't think anybody's going to tell the Chinese what to do. And um, they may, you know, they may, they're dumping them, matter of fact. They're buying less and less and, and dumping more and more. But the Chinese can't dump them too much either because they're going to take a beating on it. So they're really going to catch 22. But I don't think there's that kind of negotiation, particularly when we just heard the going back and forth of the Treasury Secretary Liu and China's Liu, L-O-U, uh, debating on the issues of whether China should open up more to U.S. and whether they should do more to boost their economy, and uh, and Lou coming back at at the United States and saying that their econ- economy, our economy in the States, is a fraudulent economy. Basically, he didn't use those words, but he said it's really just propped up by stimulus, and it's only stimulating a very few. So, and and then you look at what's going on too between China and Japan and the United States taking a position in Japan and Japan's newfound militarism and the ending of their pacifism since World War II and the ratcheting up of hostilities between China and Japan in the East China Sea. Uh, I, I don't think the United States is going to be doing that kind of deal with China. Gerald Salenti, publisher of Trends Journal and the website TrendsJournal.com. Uh, you mentioned the Ukraine, and, and uh, obviously we have uh, instability in places like Argentina and Brazil uh, and uh, some of these emerging markets. But what else has you particularly concerned as we, we head into, uh, I guess, the end of the first quarter of 2014? Well, that's the big one. You know, there's global unrest everywhere. Populist movements throughout the world, whether it's Italy, France, Netherlands, uh, Hungary, Austria, name the country, Scotland. Um, uh, and then you have, of course, the, um, hey, you, you may have Thailand. The people have been out in the streets now, what, for three months? Uh, I mentioned the uh, the instability between China and Japan building up. The United States just announcing troop deals and, and with um, and arms deals with Philippines and also part of that pivot to Asia. You have the destabilization, as you mentioned, in Ukraine, also Bulgaria, Romania. You have war in Yemen and uh, Libya and Syria. You have uh, Central Africa, Somalia, Sudan. Uganda, Congo, you know, all of these places are all destabilized. You mentioned Argentina, Brazil, and now, of course, Venezuela. And what what I believe is going to happen, is, well, what I believe, I believe, the Trends Journal, I mean, it was two years ago we wrote it, the first great war of the 21st century. It's begun. It's underway. People are just waiting for that Archduke Ferdinand moment to say it's official. And I'm very concerned because just as World War One began by madmen, call leaders, prime ministers and presidents or whatever, uh, took their people to a needless war. They're doing it again. When all else fails, they take you to war. Um, and, and so the other one, of course, is this whole tapering thing. The only reason the emerging markets boomed as they did was because of all of the cheap money flowing out of the United States, getting higher yields in these other countries. And now that money's flowing out and the economies are going down. I believe there's going to be as uh, probably one more round of tapering. Maybe this is even it, the last one. But they're going to come up with another stimulus program. And when that happens, that's when you're going to see gold and silver prices really take off. Also important to note 
that since the new year began, you know, gold has had a nice little run up. That's not to say it can't be knocked down, you know, $100, $150 in, in two days or a day because the Federal Reserve, you know, has the power to do that, as do other banks. I mean, let's not forget the New York Fed has its own trading desk on the floor of the stock exchange. And they have all these other pieces of, of uh, financing to rig markets. So they can knock down the price. However, having said that, the rise of gold since the beginning of the year has really been organic, as I see it. And I think it's going to continue. And when they come out with the next round of tapering, it'll be the next round of the next gold and silver bull runs. Gerald's, Not tapering, excuse me, stimulus. Gerald, we have about 30 seconds. Leave us with something positive for 2014 as we look. What has you kind of uh, optimistic about 2014? Well, you know, everything's in the people's hands. That's You know, one of the sayings I just came up with, I'm sure I'm not the first one that says it, said it, but why is it that so few could rule and ruin the lives of so many? And why is it that so many let so few rule and ruin their lives? Hmm. And so when people find the courage within themselves, then it'll change. Is the way I look at it, there are 10, 80% don't know what's going on. They're lost. 10% destroyers and 10% builders. Right now, the destroyers are doing the destruction. It's time for the builders to come in. And again, I want to make this 100% clear. I don't believe in violent revolutions. We're beyond that point. We could have a moral... Matter of fact, my other... My other new saying is moral might, not military might. Amen to that. Gerald Salente, publisher of the Trends Journal, and again, the website, trendsjournal.com. Always a pleasure, Gerald. We'll do this again real soon, I hope. Thank you so much, Richard. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, Gerald Salente. When we come back, my next guest has been studying the Bible probably for close to 60 years, and... Uh, he wrote an interesting book entitled The Seal of the End Times, in which he reveals the identity of the Antichrist. I've been trying for years to get Nils Hamron to utter the name of the Antichrist live on the air. I'm going to try again when we come back. Tim Spreen, my producer, asked me during the break if I could tell him the identity of the Antichrist. And he said in all earnestness, he looked at me, and he said, it's not Justin Bieber, is it? I said, no, it's not Justin Bieber. The Antichrist is... He, Justin Bieber is merely a foot soldier in Satan's army. Uh, 22 years ago, give or take, I met a gentleman from Somerville, New Jersey, and he had just finished a massive tome. He just finished writing this amazing book called The Seal of the End Times. In the book... He describes how he figured out how God's clock works and was thus able to predict how and roughly when certain events would unfold that would culminate in what the good book calls Jacob's Troubles, also known as the Great Tribulation, which of course is followed by the rise of the Antichrist and the final battle of good and evil, Armageddon. He also claimed he had correctly identified the final Antichrist, Someone who walks among us now. A mover and a shaker, obviously. Someone of immeasurable wealth and power who is about to take the world stage. 
someone who will come as a man of peace, who will be the architect of a false peace in the Middle East, who will dazzle and captivate the world with miracles. He will somehow convince the, ad- the adherents of all of the various major world religions that he is the Messiah. Anyway, you know how that movie ends. So I lost track of the author of The Seal of the End Times, Nils Hamron, a while back when he and his lovely bride were displaced during Hurricane Sandy. And then I found him again. And he's here once again to discuss what is now, I guess, the 26th anniversary of the, the, uh, the publication of The Seal of the End Times. And I'm going to see if I can get him once again uh, to reveal the identity of the final Antichrist, Nils Hammerin. Welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show, my old friend. Hello there, Richard. It's nice to talk to you and to hear your perfect uh, speech on the air. I was listening to your show earlier, and it's coming through in New Jersey extremely well. And uh, that is uh, a testament to your uh, influence. (laughs) Well, it's also a testament to uh, 50,000 watts of uh, clear channel power. Uh, It's always good to know, you know, how the uh, the station is being heard in... in, uh, various parts of, uh, of the continent. Well, Nils, listen, great to have you back again. Been too long. But here we are on this journey, 22 years after the publication of The Seal of the End Times. Now, just for those people who don't know about this book, just take 30 seconds or so and explain what it's all about. Okay. Um, the book was the result not of something... I'm not basically a writer. I never wrote anything in the past. And uh, my life was taking a very odd turn, and I was running into situations which could only be explained uh, in in, uh, terms of the fifth dimension, the Bible, prophecy, angels, things I didn't know too much about, but I was learning rapidly, and I decided, you know, some of these things that are happening to me People should know about these because they prove that um, the Bible itself is real. It is the the words of God himself, and that uh, angels do exist, and there are bad forces out there that also exist opposing the angels. You have demons, you have uh, fallen angels, and uh, you have friendly angels that... Uh, may take it up in, in their uh, sort of life. I don't know how you could describe it, but uh, they will take upon uh, themselves your own protection. And uh, I saw samples of uh, that happening, and the, the result was I just felt somebody should hear this, and they should understand, especially people that are not believers or people that are agnostics, they don't have much in this world to go by that is actual fact. Okay, now so how, explain how you figured out how God's clock works. What is God's clock, first of all? And again, just keep it uh, fairly tight. Okay. Um, God's clock is called the Shabuah clock. Shabuah is a Hebrew word. It means seven years. Uh, but there are two seven-year terms. One is the Hebrew term 
which is short of seven years by approximately 37 days. And then there is this normal, uh, correct seven-year period of time, also called a Shabua. So when you're dealing with a prophecy where the Shabua count was given, uh, you have to know whether it was a normal Shabua or it was a Hebrew Shabua. But all this information was fed to me slowly um, over time by either an angel close to me or by the Holy Spirit. All I can say is I was given one date to watch for approximately 30 to 40 years ago, and I did watch for the date and nothing was happening. And then finally, uh, approximately maybe 10 years ago or something, uh, it did happen. It actually happened, and that was the keystone of the prophecy clock. When I knew that, I could then begin to sort out how God tells time. And uh, my father was a scientist, and uh, I have his type of brain, but the brain works in religious terms. And in those uh, terms, you know, dealing with prophecy, uh, some uh, were very vague, some actually were specific. One in particular was a prophecy which Jesus gave the name of, and that was a prophecy dealing with the Gentile times, or the times of the Gentiles. And it's not well known, but that prophecy only dealt with the city of Jerusalem, not the nation of Israel. And uh, the, the uh, common date for the fall of uh, Jerusalem has always been 606 B.C., once you understand the Shabuah clock, you find out that uh, Jerusalem fell in the year 603 B.C., a three-year difference, and it was to be regathered in the year 1914 based on that prophecy, which was 2,520 years long. And when you figure it all out, that came out to about uh, 1914, and on December 11th of 1914, General Allenby walked through the streets of Jerusalem and took it over from the Ottoman Empire, and uh, not firing a shot. He had negotiated as a Christian with the Ottoman Empire people there in Jerusalem, and they told him they would allow him to take over the city, as long as the valuable places there were not hurt and damaged in any way. So many people point to 1947 as the regathering uh, in Israel, at the formation of the State of Israel, but it actually goes back to 1914. Okay, so through the understanding of the Shabu and God's clock then, you were able to uh, sort of uh, work from there forward to the biblical end times, uh, and so forth. But uh, we'll take a time out, Nils. When we come back, uh, I want to talk briefly uh, about the other amazing aspect of the seal of the end times, uh, 22 years after its publication, and that is uh, how uh, uh, how you were able to identify the final Antichrist by name and why you are unwilling to utter his name live on the air. Back Certainly. With Nils Hammerin, End Times Press, you're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
22 years ago, Nils Hamron completed writing a book that was probably some 60 years in the making. It's called The Seal of the End Times. And uh, in the book, uh, he, is, I guess, has broken the seal and is able to uh, identify how God's clock works and thus sort of count down to the final days. Uh, the end times culminating in the Battle of Armageddon and along the way, of course, uh, in the book, he identifies the Antichrist by name. If you buy the book and you read the book, it'll be all laid out for you. You'll know who the Antichrist is, but uh, in 22 years of knowing Nils Hammerin, I've never been able to get him to utter it on the air. Nils, why is that? Uh it's a very good question, and you would think uh, it's, it's vital information. Uh, in my mind, knowing what I know, uh, it's not that vital, because we have an Antichrist coming. It doesn't matter who it is. He will start on a certain date, and he will be uh, given approximately a little less than seven years to be in power. Uh, the worst part of his reign will be the last part, uh, which we call the Tribulation, it could be anybody. It could be uh, somebody in a prison right now, but I pretty much know who it is simply because of studies of the Spear of Destiny, also called the uh, Spear of Longinus. Uh, that spear was used uh, to pierce the thorax of Jesus on the cross after he had died. And what happened was that uh, when you do that, uh, the way this Roman uh, centurion was doing, uh, blood would come out from the lungs, which would accumulate uh, in, in a person that was being crucified. Uh, blood would be in the lungs, and it would come out through the uh, wound, which would prove that the person was completely dead. Um, that blood ran down uh, the post that uh, Jesus crucified on, and it went down to the base uh, hole, which was chiseled in rock. Uh, as people remember that read the Bible, there was an earthquake that followed, and the rock uh, cracked exactly where the post was in the, uh, the uh, base there. And below that was uh, about 22 feet down was a chamber in the rock, which was unknown at the time. And in that chamber was the Ark of the Covenant, so the blood of Christ pooled in the base of the post, and then when the earthquake happened, the blood ran down the crack and landed directly on the center of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And this completed a uh, plan that God had laid out many years ago. In fact, the uh, Ark was placed there 600 years prior to Christ being crucified. Uh, back to the—that's uh, a whole other show we can do, is the uh, the Ark of the Covenant and, you know, where is it and, 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 and so forth. But getting back to the Spear of Destiny, or the Lance of Longinus, the Roman soldier that, as you say, used it to pierce Christ's side, that, that lance has traveled through history. Everyone from uh, Napoleon uh, to uh, Charlemagne— uh, the, the great rulers of Europe have taken this spear into battle and have become almost impervious to, uh, you know, the enemy because of they possess this lance. Did Hitler have the lance? Uh, the uh, Yes, the future Antichrist has the lance, and now that is how I was able to identify him. 
he he received it in 1979, June of 1979, and in fact, uh, I happen to have a photograph that was taken by a physician that lives in the United States or did live, and he's now dead. His name is Howard Beckner. Um, he was uh, very active in Germany trying to save people that were in uh, camps that had been set up by the Germans for extermination of the Hebrew people. Um, he was a doctor. He was uh, given a classification of colonel, and he worked with uh, German officers going into these concentration camps and trying to save lives. He formed a friendship with some of those people. And when the spear was retrieved from a hiding place where it was put, at the end of World War II, it was brought to him in the United States, and he was allowed to look at it and hold it, talk to the German people that were involved with retrieving it for a span of about three days in June of 1979. From there, it went back to Austria uh, or Germany, and in that area, it was placed in a guarded place where it could be safe and uh, given over to what is called the Committee of Twelve. Uh, however, the Committee of Twelve normally doesn't need the spear. They have their own uh, powers. Uh, the spear was actually assigned to uh, the future Antichrist for his use because of its power. Okay, let me ask you, uh, and I understand you've told me this uh, a number of times off the air, <laughs> that that you were once on a, a radio station, a radio program down in, in Florida, I believe it was, and you actually did mention the Antichrist by name, and that did not end well. What what ended up happening as a result? It was a crazy show. I had no idea how big the station linkage was. I was in my pajamas doing this program after I had done the night shift at General Motors, and I'm on the air, and all of a sudden the... Uh, person that is running the show uh, tells me that he's bringing on uh, the guy I claim is the Antichrist. And I said, uh, who, who are you bringing on? And he named the name, and they had reached this person by satellite in Europe, tracked him down, and had him on the line. And I told him legally, I cannot, you know, continue this program. You're going to be responsible for what happens now. And I uh, told him I'll stay by if you want me to listen, but I'm not uh, going to speak with him. So they spoke with him for about 20 minutes. And during that time, uh, this uh, gentleman, uh, who we suspect, uh, spoke perfect English, perfect English, and a very, very quick mind, an extremely uh, clever person. But he made one mistake. And while he made that mistake, I realized this is truly the Antichrist. What was the mistake he made? The mistake he made dealt with the Spear of Longinus, and uh, whether or not he had it, and whether or not uh, he still uh, had it on display in a museum someplace. Um, it was on display in several hospitals, various churches at different times, and... Um, he denied having anything to do with the spear, and I knew that he was linked to it. 
There was no way he could deny it. He didn't. He later this didn't the Antichrist uh, later actually call you at home. Yes. Yes. In fact, uh, I have a tape of his time on the uh, radio, and uh, I wouldn't even play that on the air because again, there's a very very attendant danger associated with making these accusations. These people are extremely dangerous. Uh, when they want to do something, that's it. It's done, and it doesn't matter what it is. So you have to, if you want to keep uh, breathing and uh, being of some use in the world, you uh, are very careful what you say and when you say it. All right, so without saying his name, you, you, you've identified this individual as being of European descent. Um, obviously, we're talking about someone of immeasurable wealth and power here. We're talking old money? We're talking very old money, and we're talking extreme value uh, in, in land, uh, extreme holdings, uh, owning banks, owning uh, practically owning half a country. Uh, that sort of wealth is uh, almost immeasurable today. <clears throat> it would exceed uh, the, the Rockefellers and all the rest of these people that are involved with the New World Order. He would be able to buy them all out. And and when is he, according to God's clock, the Shabuah, which uh, you have broken the seal, uh, when is he set to emerge back onto the world stage as a prominent individual? All right. Uh, Shabuahs have numbers. His Shabuah is number 350-350. It is not in force at this time. It will begin as soon as there is a peace accord in uh, the Mideast uh, put together by uh, various countries as the result of a major, major war, which we call World War III. That is not Armageddon. World War III is at least something like eight years prior to Armageddon. So we are still facing a bit of time. Now, Shabuwa... 350 comes immediately after Shabuwa 349. Shabuwa 349 ended uh, in uh, 1994, uh, December 7th of 1994. That's when that particular Shabuwa ended, and Shabuwa 350 had certain characteristics it did not follow. I realized then that we are in the time where a free Shabuah is now the next Shabuah and is not linked to the string of Shabuahs prior to it. So we're in a bit of a holding pattern until, we're in a holding pattern. until World War III starts. And then in the, in the aftermath of World War III, we have this false peace. Now, the Antichrist is to be the architect. He's to negotiate this false peace, is he not? Uh, he will be at the table, and he will be a signator of the uh, new agreement. Uh, he is also uh, working on changing the European Union. Uh, the date for the startup of these changes would be approximately May 1st, 2015. That would be 70 years after the death of Hitler. Uh, it is something that is a target that was set up by people have uh, have been set up to uh, take the Third Reich redesign it, and make it into the Fourth Reich. 
So we have the future Antichrist running the Fourth Reich, and it is called the Pan-European Union. And does the does the final Antichrist is he aware that he is the Antichrist, or or will will he his body essentially be taken over at this point? He would be probably taken over. I do not believe that he he doesn't want to be something as evil as the Antichrist. He's actually a, a fairly uh, normal person at this point. He's active in things like uh, fundraising, and uh, he loves music, and he's. Uh, He's not a person that you would hate. He's a person that you would just like to know. Uh, he's so wealthy that he is surrounded by uh, protective people, of course, and uh, getting to see him or meet him or anything like that is almost uh, impossible. That's why um, when he showed up on that radio program, I was really uh, unbelievably <laughs> Yeah, that would be a, quite a shock. Nils, I understand, uh, here we are 22 years later, Seal of the End Times, it's... Uh, You've got about, what, 200 copies left? I have that, and uh, I would like to clean them out, and then I'm going to uh, start maybe a new project, but I don't... I, um, what comes to mind is something like a pictorial book dealing with prophecies so people could see where something is supposed to be taking place and uh, okay. what what things are involved. Well, how do people get a hold of uh, one of the final 200 copies of The Seal of the End Times? They could call me at uh, here in the United States in New Jersey 908-725-6252. 908-725-6252. Yes, that's an answering machine. I would prefer if they could call late in the afternoon uh, rather than in the morning. Okay, that's and, uh, that's they how they get direct contact that way. Nils, great uh, meeting with you again. Let's do a show on the Ark of the Covenant uh, in a couple of months. Absolutely. Stay well, my friend. Okay, thank you. Nils Hammerin. Tim Spreen, thank you to you. Next week, brand new show. Not sure what's on tap, but it'll be good. I promise you that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known what you hear in the dark. Speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Whew. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.